Are you there, Damon? Yeah, I'm here. Hey. So my name is Sarah, and I have a company called Entrepreneur, and I teach women how to launch products. So okay. I'm really excited to do this interview with you um, oh. because of who you are and also because of your relationship and your star quality on Shark Tank. And lots of my, you know, followers are big Shark Tank watchers, <laughs> uh, okay. you know, and watching all these people get their products out there and, um, you know, vie for, you know, you guys to decide whether they're going to make it or break it, I guess, right. essentially. Um, and uh, so, anyway, welcome to, to the Entrepreneur. And um, I have a bunch of questions that I really think my audience is going to be interested in talking to you about. So I'm okay. just going to shoot. Not a problem. Uh, so I think you're, you know, I read a lot of bios about you on the Internet. And uh, thank God for the Internet. Um, and so I think your story is super inspiring and, and really cool. And that you, you know, when you launched your FUBU line, um, long time ago, 1994, right? Um, uh, yeah, 92, 92. 92, that you uh -huh. saw a need and you filled it. And, you know, I feel like the best way to, you know, create a superstar product is to fill a, a need. Um, and so I just, you know, like many of us, I read that you started at home kind of on your dining room table. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to have you talk a little bit about, like, how – like what happened the day that you sort of knew you had a hit item and you could quit your day job? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know how many. I don't. I don't know how to say that that day ever comes. Tell you the truth, you know, a, a lot of entrepreneurs that I've experienced, they they have so many failures that when when there's a finally that one that you sink your teeth into a success you just uh, get so paranoid that you think this is just a longer run of like you know one of those ones that you eventually failed at mm -hmm. and um you know so it's always that okay well I made this great thing all right well then I got the patent okay I made a couple of sales oh I'm getting into a couple of stores I got a loan I can start putting it out a little bit further Oh man, I, I can't keep working at my day job as long, but this one's not paying as much. Uh, you know, now I'm getting to this point. Oh, I got distribution. Well, now I have a bigger responsibility, and then then I got to handle this employee. So, a lot of times, I, I just I was always ready to go back to the day job. So I can't say the minute I knew I made it. I think was by around 2000, year 2000, and I knew that I had a substantial amount of wealth. And, um, you know, I was a global brand, and even then, because I'm in the fashion business and a fashion line usually has a five-year lifespan, I was like, oh, it's going to end all tomorrow, and what am I going <laughs> to do next? You know, so, yeah. uh, you know, it's a healthy paranoia, you know? Oh, sure. I definitely agree. It's just, you know, sometimes people have, um, you know, an, an aha moment when they they realize that, you know, that they can actually leave their day job, not, you know, and I totally agree with you that it's always, you know, I live on that same edge all the time thinking, oh, my God, I could have to go get a job tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, I had a whole bunch of aha moments in regards to I made this hurdle. You know, I know that when we first made it into the windows of Macy's, I sat out there in front of my car for about, Three hours. Yeah. <laughs> stared at the windows. You know, when I first moved up to Empire State Building, you know, I would, you know, every other day just sit in the office until two in the morning with the window open, looking over the city. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those first trips to Hong Kong and, and and all those things were always first, but it always was that paranoia. In the back of your mind. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, is this a, is this a strike of lightning? You know, um, and all the, you know, a lot of people who do that aha, I made it hit the lotto. Unfortunately, um, they they get such a sense of security and confidence that a lot of times they start slipping and they they start to believe. You know, they they say that the the thing is when a magician starts to believe his own tricks. Exactly. And there's a problem then. And, you know, when you start to get that level of comfort, you blow all the money, you stop going to work as early, you say, ah, they do that for me. Right. You know, and, and before you know you turn back around, you're right back where you started from. I couldn't agree more. It's so funny because I, I've i always had this feeling in my own company. I mean, I've I've had and lost businesses over the last um, 13 years myself. Right. Like accessory lines. And I've always lived on that same edge of, what if it doesn't happen and I could have to go back? But so many people don't. So it's, you know, people do get that, you know. Well, they fight so hard to not have to go back, you know. Right, and that they don't, but they, and they sort of just put it out of their mind. And it's really yeah. refreshing to hear you, you know, say it. And and especially even for me to kind of confirm that sort of the way that I've been going about it is healthy, you know, because some yeah. people are like, God, you know, you in all these stores, you got all this press, like, what are you worried about? And I'm like, it could all be gone tomorrow. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, it's know. a healthy paranoia, and I don't want people to mistake it from going, geez, I don't, uh, you know, I don't want to go back to that house. But when you start thinking about it, it becomes, when you know, you become what most of your thoughts are. If you start thinking about going back and being poor, then it's a problem. But, you know, it's a healthy situation. Go, all right, what am I going to do to advance myself to secure where I'm at better? That, that's more of a better way of thinking of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did you, um, did you have sales skills when you first started or do, were you self-taught or did you kind of figure it out as you went along? Well, I was self-taught. I think that my mother is somebody who would who would follow you. She was an entrepreneur every day of her life. Um, you know, she always told me my day job would never make me rich and to think big, it takes the same energy to think small as it does big. And she always had something else going on besides her current day job. And, um, you know, and I just was raised with, with that type of mentality. And and but then you're but you're which is an awesome way to be raised and <laughs> and such an like to have such an encouraging mom like that. And so do you just so you basically just attest your sales skills to what you learned from your mom. I mean, just teach. Well, I mean, you know, if that if that's what yeah, that's what it was when you're at home and and you always see see somebody uh, you know coming up with creative ways to make things or sell things or or, or talk to people and to to work. That becomes a process, you know. Um, and and yeah, I guess I really have to attribute it to her. And and then you know, I started hanging out with a lot of friends who were very similar. How did you handle setbacks? You know, like when you were getting started. Setbacks, but you know, when I was getting started, setbacks was all I had, so that's all I knew. So everything else that was <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything else, else was, was a success. Yeah, everything else was better. Than that. I was like, wow, are you serious? So but I mean, um, like even in like your, you know, like after two or three years, you know, I mean, everyone. I got failed. Their own you know, pain. you know, I, I created, I created Fool really in '89, and um, wow. I failed. I closed it three times. Um, because I, either I didn't have the right partners with the right vision, I didn't have the money, or um, I just I didn't have any partners, and so I, I failed three times prior, and then the fourth time, 92 to around 96, 97, very hard time. You know, um, um, a lot of times me and the partners would be fighting with each other, and one would say you can't quit now, the other would say okay, um, don't worry about it, but. 
the only thing that everybody has in common, and I always say this, is that, it, that, that who are successful is they're doing something they love. And I was always doing something I loved. So how bad was my life when I was sitting on the, the video set of LL Cool J, you know, recording something, and I'm a fan of him, him already, and I'm waiting, you know, for 8 hours, 10 hours, 15 hours for him to wear a piece of my a shirt that I have. And what if he didn't wear it? Was that a setback, or I got to sit on a video set of a legendary music artist? <laughs> that rocked. <laughs> right. So, so I, I didn't consider it a setback. Yeah. Right, okay. Of did course I, not. Did I lose the whole day of work, and and maybe at the end of the month I couldn't make the mortgage, and I had to go and I don't know rent out a room in my house to a stranger to help make the mortgage? That's fine. But you you didn't take away that experience I had. Right. Of course. So wow. I, I don't consider. I never considered anything really a setback. You know. Like that thought. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, so I, re- you know, I read that your mom, like when you, I think if I have my story correct, that after you went to Magic um, for one of the first times, you came back with a few thousand, do- few hundred thousand dollars in orders, and that your mom took out a mortgage uh, second on her house to help you get started. Um, it's very similar. I mean, I don't want to discredit mom, but you know, she she left. She. Uh, she knew that I was a self-reliant guy, and I, you know, I was working, and I had, you know, I rent that part of the house or whatever. But when I was about eighteen or nineteen, she was like, "Listen, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Manhattan later." <laughs> you know, and and we had, I was paying, I was helping paying them while I was contributing. Ever since I, I started working at ten, and I haven't stopped since. But I was starting to contribute to the mortgage right around sixteen, so I was able to carry the mortgage around nineteen and twenty. Wow. Um, so she owned half of the house, and she moved, and then I. I did have to get her approval, but I came back and I said, listen, you know, I, I'm going to take this gamble and I'm going to mortgage a house. And she said, all right. I mean, that's what she was supportive because she owned half of it. Right. Um, but it was really, it was it was my house. And um, and I mortgaged it and, and, I, and I went out and I took all the furniture in the whole house and I went outside in the backyard and I burned it all. <laughs> and I... And I brought in like um, I brought in fabrics and sewing machines, and I hired a bunch of seamstresses, and I rented out most of the rooms on the top, and I lived in the attic, and it was a hotel and factory for like uh, three years. Wow, <laughs> that yeah. is inspirational on its own. I mean, you know, I mean, it's really it, 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 it's, it's idiotic too. Trust me, trust me, it's idiotic. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, you were young and yeah. you know and passionate about your business and really you know willing to do anything you could to get it off the ground and you know and that's really admirable and in my opinion, you know, I mean, it, it is and I, and I appreciate it. But you know, I, I could have thought a little better if I if I would have um, educated myself a little bit better, I probably would only made half the mistakes. Course. You know, but maybe you know what? If I had educated myself more, I would have also had a lot more hurdles in front of me because everybody said, "No, that's not the way it's done." Yeah. Can't happen. Well, if you'd, you know? if you'd been more educated about it, you might have decided not to do it. Right. You know, it's kind of like the people who sit around for a year and do business plans, trying to get the perfect moment to start their business, and of they course, just never and, start it. And there's never a perfect moment. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Somehow, it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are you? Do you have any? Um, are are you start going to revive this line, or you know, based on what's going on in your life now with all the other, you know, empire of clothing and stuff? That you, uh, you mean the Fubu line? Yeah. Well, you know, it it is it still does well in Asia, um, and it's all over Europe, and a lot of people have been asking for it, but not really because of um, not because of Shark Tank and stuff. They they it, it's just that time it's been out of the market. It's not been in the United States for eight years, and um, we were already making custom stuff for artists and stuff. So I'm bringing it back slowly. I'm introducing it slowly. But it'll, it's not going to be what it used to be, you know, um, very big. You know, it's not going to be that big 
behemoth, you know, of a line in our market. It's going to be more like a, a quiet version of Levi's, more traditional American designing. So I'm, I'm bringing it back. All right. Well, everyone's going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> what, um, what prompted you to move the line overseas, you know, for sales instead and, and take it out of the U.S. marketplace? Well, because you know, like I had said earlier, you know, the five-year the five-year line, uh, you know, that's that's usually the existence of a line, and before it starts really getting bastardized or you know, uh, really going down, and you know, we we really had a rocket ship ride with it. The consumers started to have ten years of Fubu in their closet, and there was a bunch of other urban lines coming out, so there was really no need for it. And, um, you know, we didn't want to just have the line only available in discounters and stuff like that. And we want to go and build the overseas market. So so the smart thing was just to get it out of everybody's face for a while, you know? Yeah. And uh, take it over there and build it up. And then, you know, it's a brand, and I know it's a legendary brand, so I know that it can be it can live for 100 years. Like, you know, Levi's was founded in 1930. and. Right. Burberry in 1918. You know, it, it, it'll it'll when you have when you're a brand, you can always come back if if done the right way. What um what prompted you to get involved with Shark Tank? Um, you know, I was I was on a lot of the stations like uh, Donnie Deutsch and MSNBC and and giving business advice because that's what I like to do. I think that because I've been blessed, I can give it back. And they called me. Uh, Mark Burnett and the guys called me and said, well, we want you on Shark Tank. And I was like, all right, no problem. They said, but you've got to spend your own money. And I hung <laughs> up the phone on them. I literally <laughs> was like, all right, no thank Thank you, but no thank you. Goodbye. Right? Can, I, can I pay to be on your show, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, I thought I, you know, I thought I hit the big time, baby. I thought you've got to pay me. Right. And um, then I looked into it. And again, being somebody who loves brands and, and, and loving, loving that equity in, in people's brands, I looked at Dragons then where where it came from in London and Japan and 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 Canada I saw it was the number one show. So first of all I see the show is a brand itself. Then I realized it was Mark Burnett calling me and you can't get with a better producer than Mark Burnett. Exactly. And then it was on ABC and yeah, it's a great channel and 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 who can ever say that they're going to be on ABC? Even A-list stars can't be on ABC. Half of them. Right. So I said, uh, you know, it's going to give me a different exposure. A lot of people, you know, they think of me as a FUBU guy. When I when I used to go to meetings, they'd be surprised. They thought I would have, like, a gun holster on and gold teeth and break dancing, <laughs> you know, being the FUBU guy and some racist or something like that. I, you know, I didn't know what they expected. And um, so I got on the show, and, and I think it was uh, it was good. And, and I wanted to see other investments because I always get offered investments in apparel. But once I got on the show, now I get offered investments in all genres, and I don't have to cannibalize my current portfolio of apparel because I'm getting offered, you know, everything from whatever, bicycles to everything else. Right, to all the cool ideas that people have. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, how does somebody make it onto your show? I think that goes through ABC casting.com I believe now, now the the show so far has has uh, I think we have one more episode and a couple of reruns but it hasn't been picked up yet we're waiting for the the news from the producers I know that there are a ton of people waiting um, in line for the show the show had a huge success and it started to started to create this little environment of people doing shark tank things all over the country and you know so you have a lot of people waiting for the show but we're waiting for the producers to, to give us the green light yeah, it's got a huge cult following. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. 
Um, so how, how do you decide, I mean, whether it's on Shark Tank or, you know, in one of your other companies that you invest in, what are some of the things that you look for um, before you decide to invest in a company? Well, you know, I, even in Shark Tank, you know, when those people walk up that aisle, we, we really do not, we've never seen those people before they come in. But actually, a lot of times the audience knows them better than we do because you see where they were from in Ohio or whatever, right? When they walk up that aisle, a lot of times we make a decision before they say anything on if we want to invest them by the person. And, and that and happens the a lot. that they command, you mean, when they're... Of course, because, yeah. you know, as a person, as a brand, when you're walking in front of people, there's a chemistry now. Whatever the product is, is fine, but you may have to work with that person for three years to 30 years. Right. And that's going to be a partner of yours. That's who you're going to speak to on the phone every day or every week or whatever cases. So, first of all, it's the person. Second of all, it's their ability to answer the questions. Now... The question, the the answer may be, I don't know, I haven't gotten to that point yet, and that's your expertise I want to know, but they have to give us accurate, not fumbling around, not, you know, you know they never thought of it, you know, really, really specific answers. Um, I think the next part is, do they have a proprietary or patented product, you know, something that I can at least limit most of the competition on. Sure. And then I think, uh, you know, one of the other aspects is going to be, is there room for growth? And, um, and of course, I left out the most important thing. I'm sorry. The evaluation. People always think that because they spent a million dollars on the product and they made all, that was all a mistake, that I'm supposed to buy that million dollars worth of valuation. Right. People have to value it at the right amount. You know, and, and I know the producers tell people on Shark Tank, listen, you're asking for $5 million right now. You only sold $20,000 worth of something. Um, <laughs> I, I think you should rethink that. And they go, all right, I'll rethink it. I'll ask for $2 million. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, that happens a lot, you know. I can imagine. I mean, I've seen lots of people tell me also, you know, my business is worth two or three million dollars, and I'm yeah. like, wow, really? With you, is that right? Write the check, baby. Yeah, like, I mean, it's amazing how people can sort of like inflate the value of their company oh like overnight. Like, oh yeah, I'm a rock star. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, have you um? Have you ever invested in something that flopped? Sure. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what it is. Yeah, but you know what? I have about I have about 12 clothing lines, and three of them flopped, you know, um, that we invested. My biggest flop at the moment was a company which I love. I still love to this day. It was called Heatherette. It was a, um, it's a fashion line, and the partners were a guy named Richie Rich and Traver. Rains and and it's a ladies line very and it was we we did a lot of the seventh on six shows so if you ever Google it Heatherette it's it's mm-hmm. it's a really great line but we just you know I'm a manufacturer of men's apparel and the Heatherette guys they were great costume designers and runway designers but they just couldn't translate the product to um to retail yeah so. I mean, I can see how that can be a problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it was a problem. So, you know, the, the, the stuff would come in. It wouldn't really fit the females the right way or, or, or some other aspects wouldn't be good. And, you know, I lost about, I probably lost about $6 million on that line. Wow. Uh, that's not small potatoes. That's, that's not. I mean, yeah. it's a big investment when you go into the apparel. Yeah. Book. Oh, yeah. I, I why I personally stayed away from it. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I mean, handbags aren't too far behind. Right. Um, but um, so so when you're working with, you know, the other companies that you, you know, do invest with and are part of your, you know, 
your your Damon Empire. <laughs> um, like how mu- how much of your time, like how much time do you invest in those companies? You know, like do you speak to those people daily, weekly? You know, uh, I mean, it all depends because I invest a lot of times with other partners, and some of the other partners take on a lot of the responsibilities, as well as you have the the current or the CEO of the company that we partnered up with, acquired, whatever it is. So some companies I can speak to them once a week, and some companies I speak to them every day. It, it totally depends. And, and it depends on what stage of the company it's at, you know. The embryonic stage, you're going to speak to them way more than when everything's running, you know. Sure, sure. And do you do you only, um, I mean, the companies that you invest in, like even the, the, the newbie embryonic ones, I mean, do they, is it sometimes just the owner of the company that you're dealing with and they're sort of, you're kind of guiding them. Yeah, you prefer. Yeah, yeah, because anybody you invest in, they may, you know, if you invest in somebody and they have six partners, you don't want to talk to six partners. You want to say, sure. listen, I'm talking to one person. You right. decide all that other stuff amongst you guys is fine. I'm talking to one person. You and know. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, that, that was it. Go ahead. Um, like you know, because when you're, um, I've had experience with investors <laughs> in one of my companies, and it, you know, it it didn't, it wasn't a pleasant one because I had hoped to have somebody, more, what sounds like more like you, who's actually like an active participant in helping, you know, to grow the brand and giving advice and you know saying this is your next move, you know, go check right. out this person, helping with connections to manufacturing, I assume, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, so, you know, so it makes a, it makes for a totally different kind of business, I mean, than, than what I experienced. So I, well, you know, as an investor, you have to look at it, you know, you really, a lot of times investors only want to be investors. They want to be like Bank of America. They want to say, okay, listen, if you went to Bank of America and got a loan, you expect the guys to come over every day and help you. Right. Right. Now I'm an investor. And then other ones want strategic, want strategic partners. And, um. The strategic partner way is you really want the person you acquire to have kind of the answers and you kind of, you know, give them, you know, advice and help a little bit, but not too much. Like the one that I worked with, Lisa Lloyd, um, and her company's called Treasure Chest Pets. She's a genius. I mean, the the lady, the lady... You know, she does so much of the the business, like bringing containers and do some stuff that I have no idea about what to do. She's smarter than me, and I love speaking to her. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's some there's some uh, you know there's some areas where you know the guys they just don't want to be too involved in it because they kind of want you to run it. You know? No, I can I can definitely understand that. Um, and I just but I think having somebody like you behind you know kind of behind right. even just thinking you're behind the brand you right. know emotionally and physically, you know, gives people, you know, like, hey, I'm having a problem and that you're a great sounding board, you know, you've kind of been there and done everything. Yeah, you definitely want support. I I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, no matter how smart you are, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's people you consult with (laughs) and you have questions and talk to too. All the time. Yeah, I mean, having some people in your back pocket is like the key to success. Yes, I agree. Uh, You know, (laughs) the mastermind group, of course. Yes, exactly. Big fan of that myself. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your book that's coming okay. out on April 1st. So exciting. Um, so The Brand Within, How We Brand Ourselves from Birth to the Boardroom. I love that title. Um, so tell tell me a little bit about this because it's part of a series, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's part of my Display of Power series. And, and my first one, the actual book, was Display of Power. And that was um, 
Yeah, that was about myself and and coming up and then how FUBU changed the world of marketing. And the reason why I wrote that about myself was because uh, people don't didn't know me personally, and if they wanted to follow up on my other books that I would be coming out with, they needed to know who I was to see where this, you know, where this opinion was coming from, and and do they agree or not? Um, my second one is the brand within, and the reason why I wanted to 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 put this book out there was to explain to people that the subtle things that you do are representative of what you're going to be and your company. And, and you know, I always use the example, if Steve Jobs gets sick, the stock goes down 20%. You know, we, we buy into Microsoft, but we really buy into Bill Gates. And, and we buy into Trump and all the products, but we buy into himself. Like, why would we buy, there's everything, Trump sells everything from steaks to a television show to suits. And he really just builds real estate. But his brand himself has gotten so big that we buy into it and we believe into it. And there's a lot of other things that we don't do because the person the person that has the brand is something some way that we don't believe in. So a lot of people do not understand how important the person that they are is to when they have businesses and, and their employees and who buys and who invests into them. And this is what I try to explain in the brand within. That is incredibly uh, intuitive and, and I mean it's just I mean I I totally I mean obviously I agree with you but that's besides the point but I I love the way you like, you related how how people are the brand themselves and a lot of people just think of their product as the brand and don't bother yeah, I mean do, a are. lot of people do they realize now if they're not on television maybe it's not as much but do they realize they're branded you brand a thousand people a day if you go to somebody's desk and you, you work in the corporate environment and there's one desk over here and one desk over here and one person has a big gulp on their desk and another one has fruit and stuff like that, you, you look at certain things like, well, this person doesn't necessarily care about their health or they want a sugar high and this is where they shop and, and you look at their clothes, you look at how they carry themselves and you respond to that whenever you're doing deals with people. So have you ever wondered how come one person always gets all these deals done and the other person doesn't when you, they both have the same capabilities? Actually, sometimes the person who doesn't get things done is smarter and more competent. Right, and maybe deserves the deal better. <laughs> and deserves it better, but but they may they may be that person who has that cockiness to them going, well, I know I'm a genius and you need to buy into me when you feel that energy and you, and you don't trust that brand because you feel that, you know what, that person is going to think they're even smarter than me at the end of the day. Right. It's all about how you really personally present yourself. And then I, I came up with a thesis that there are four stages, whether it is whether it is us as a person or a product, there's four stages we go through. And it's um, product, you know, I even forgot to say, oh, I'm sorry, product, <laughs> item, brand. Yeah, okay. Item, label, brand, lifestyle. Now, everything in existence goes through that, that process. Item, huh? label. label brand, and a lifestyle. Now I'm going to explain it to you just in regards to water. This is something we can get anywhere and everywhere, right? We can drink it out of a fountain, find it in a lake. And that's the item of water, correct? As a label, it's something when you go into the no-frills store and you want bottled water, but you see a label and you don't care, but you know it's bottled water, so you buy the bottle, water. As a brand, we start looking for Fiji. We start looking for Avion. And as a lifestyle, it becomes vitamin water and bling water and things that you think of an entire lifestyle when you think of the category. And that is just water. Right. You know 
<laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. Right. Now, we can do that with any type of product, any type of thing. And, and I know I'm writing it in a dumbed-down situation, but I, I write it like that so people just get it. Sure, I, I can appreciate that. That's what the book's about. Sounds great. I can't wait for it to come out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm going to pre-order it on Amazon. You're, and um, you can also get it on... Um, you can I, I have the books bundled on my 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 website at uh, damonjohn.com. Okay, well, well that's where I'm going to go get it then. Everybody hear that damonjohn.com. Mm-hmm. Um so one thing I wanted to sort of, you know, mention is that, you know, like, you know, back when you started your brand and when I started my first brand back in the late 90s, you know, the internet basically kind of didn't exist. I mean, it did for you know, the Bill Gates and those people in the world. Right. But, you know, for like, you know, stores weren't using email and, um, you know, we kind of had to do everything the old-fashioned way, you know, phone, in-person, trade shows, you know, mm-hmm. mailing out your press kits and catalogs and all that stuff. And so, you know, how, I mean, like with the ease of communication these days, you know, snap of a finger, you can reach, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, you know, through all kinds of social media and your mailing list and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how how do you think that that has affected branding, you know, in the last, like, 10 years? I think in a huge way, I think, because now there's this level of transparency where initially, you know, you can do these press releases and all this old good stuff and you can lie uh, or you, make, you can make things seem bigger than it is. Now you have a clear transparency, you know, you can – People who feel that you are not the brand you say you are can immediately put it out in the world for people to read. Um, if you feel that you have a following like this so that people can just go on and, and see how many people follow you, what their demographic is, people can really check into any and all aspects of your world. And, um, you know, it, it has really greatly changed everything. So you have to really come with a real clear message and an accurate message. And you you have to be able to to admit to any mistakes that you do. So it's way different than in the past. Do you, do you think that that has helped helped or hindered business? <laughs> you know, or how, where do you think the effect has been, you know, like on being able to um, on sales? and? I think it's helped the businesses who get it and who really are supporting and understand their customer, and I think it's hindered businesses who don't get it. It, it really is just created a divide. If you really understand your customer, then you're out there putting out the right social media content and you're, you're at, the, at the right places because you're following it and you really understand this person. And if you don't, you, you really are uh, you, you're losing people to who does know them. You know? So I, I think it's, it's helped and hurt and it all depends. You know? do, you, do, you, um, do you use social media a lot for, you know, personally and for business, you know, to help, you know, to help make your brand what it is today? I mean, do you, do you really I, see the effect I, of social media? Yeah, I fully see the effect. I use a lot. I'm on Twitter, um, and I'm on there. And, and you know what? Even besides getting the, the feedback from my people, when I go on there and, and we were slowly starting to bring back FUBU, I go and check the word FUBU, and I go and see everybody in the Twitter universe who's talking about FUBU. Now, you know, at one point I saw, I noticed that the kids were talking about it because they didn't really know much about it, but it was a joke. And then I saw that the older people talking about it really had this high level of respect. 
I saw that a lot of people thought it really still existed in the United States when it didn't. They thought that the cut was still baggy and, and, it, and it wasn't. So when bringing it back, I know exactly what targets to address instead of just thinking, oh, well, let me do a shiny campaign. That may not work. People already know about the brand. Right. You have to address the sizing. You have to address the this, the that. I mean, so if you go into that world, if you don't have thin skin, you can go in there and see exactly how good or bad your brand or yourself you're perceived. And that's something that you have to follow. <laughs> and, and to have gotten that information when you first started would have taken, well, I mean, uh Oh, it would take in focus groups that you don't even know if, right. you know, because you're paying the kids, are they even telling you the truth? You know, like, yeah. it would have taken a long amount of time for that stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's just, I constantly am amazed at how different business is now, you know, and, and people who are just starting out now, you know, like young, you know, young people in their 20s, you know, like they just don't even know what it's like to not have, Google and everything right. at their fingertips. Uh, imagine trying to give one of them a, a, a rotary phone. I, yeah. I tried to show my daughter a rotary phone. She, owned, she, couldn't, she couldn't work it. Right. They're like, what is that thing? It's so funny. I mean, sometimes I have two-year-old twins, and I look at them sometimes, and I think, wow, like you're never going to even ever see a rotary telephone. You know, right. like certain things, it's really kind of shocking sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, do you, do you feel open to giving us a few little insider tips from your book coming out, and then I'll let you go? I think I gave them to you already. Yeah, well, the, those four uh, points. Did you have anything else out there for, you know, for all my gals to, uh, or do you have any parting words of wisdom other than? Um, you know, you know the, the, the thing I like to always tell everybody is whatever business you're, you're going into, you need to learn it from the bottom up and don't, don't just try to go in there. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, all he did was slap a logo on a shirt and he put it out there. It's just not that easy. And a lot of people get into the business for the emotional aspect only. Um, I think that, you know, if you don't have the resources to go to any kind of school or get education, then go intern in a company or go do something. Just educate yourself because that year or two years you'll take to educate yourself will save you an enormous amount of money. Yes. And, you know, even like in my instance, I can do every single thing from the bottom all the way to the top. So, like, if one of my designers or one of my this and that type person tells me it can't happen or whatever – I'm not hostage to what they tell me, you know, and if they leave the company, I know how to replace them. And that's because I've learned everything in this business, you know. So I, I think it really, if this is a business that you love and you're going to be in for a while, you just got to learn it all, you know, and, and just educate yourself. I think that is excellent advice, and I 100% agree with you. I feel, I mean, I'm the same way about my business, too. Right. And it's one of the main things that I teach to my clients is that they don't have to do it all, but they have to know how to do it. They have to know. And, and you yeah. know, the old saying is the only thing more expensive than education is ignorance. Yeah. And, and then, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one to roll with. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And, Thank you. I appreciate um, you having me. Yeah, and I'll definitely uh, get the word out, and I'll send everyone to your site. What's your um, Twitter handle, so in case anyone uh, wants to follow My Twitter you. handle is uh, the shark Damon, and Damon is spelled uh, like Raymond, but with D's. Yeah, D-A-Y-M-O-N-D. Okay, great. I'll put that up there, too, so people can start to follow you and see what else is going on. Well, I thank you so much. All right, Have thank a really you. great day. All right, you too. Okay. Bye.